everybody. Welcome to the Bituation Room Podcast Live. How are you? Thank you for being here. I hope everyone's good. I hope everyone's keeping safe and masked up and washing the hands. Remember the hand washing part of all this? Yeah, me, me too. I forgot it a little bit. And uh, I get bored washing my hands for that long, but it's important. Um, thank you all for being here. We have such a good show. Nato Green is back. Hey, uh, he's back. He's going to tell us what he's been up to. We also have organizer uh, Joshua Con Russell. So excited to have him here um, to talk about the American coup that may or may not be coming in November. We are 15 days, 16 days. I don't know, future people, you're probably like 10 days out from the election. Record numbers of voting. Maybe folks have been phone banking. You've been calling. Um, I wrote some letters and then I folded them into the worst origami humanly possible to fit into small little envelopes. Um, and look, I don't, I hope that doesn't like sway it against me. I think though, uh, yeah, those voters in Arizona are going to be pretty mad <laughs> at Frankie, which is my uh, phone bank name. Speaking of phone banking, we take tips here at the Bituation Room, and we are donating a portion of those tips to Seed the Vote, which is working with grassroots organizations across the country, uh, specifically uh, um, to phone bank and to door knock, even in this pandemic. Seed the Vote. We're donating a portion of all the tips you give us at TBR-Live on Venmo, TBR-Live on Cash App. Thank you so much in advance for those generous donations. This show is a small and scrappy production full of love, full of love. And I also uh, want to just give a shout out to the people who've donated $20 or more, which gets you a special shout out. So thank you, Robert Gilbert, Adam Ambrose, who came to see NATO and I uh, at uh, in uh, the Verdi Club in San Francisco. Um, Elias Cadena, Vern Vartal, Vartal, Tushara Kodikara, Suzanne Labarge, and Vadni Mina. Thank you so, so much for your generosity. Um, I'm sure Seed the Vote thanks you too. Uh, and just a funny thing I realized if you voice to text the bituation room, you'll get the bitch is Asian room. And in this case, the bitch is Asian. I am Asian. So, uh, yeah, not wrong, Siri. Not wrong. <laughs> um, make sure to rate this podcast, future people. And right now, if you're watching live, thank you for being here. Rate the podcast on iTunes. It helps people discover this podcast. If you're watching on YouTube, make sure you click the like button. Make sure you subscribe. Let's people know we're here and we are live and we are discussing scenarios for a Trump coup. Uh, yeah. He is uh, the party of projection, so they keep on saying what's happening to him is a coup. Like, you mean voting, brah? Um, but in fact, they are, of course, preparing for their own. Um, but without further ado, let's bring on our guest. He's a comedian, writer, labor organizer who has a regular contributor to The Bugle podcast, The Last Post, and his this podcast. His second album is The Whiteness Album, out now, and you can find his series, Laughter Against the Machine, featuring W. Kamau Bell and Janine Brito, streaming on Means TV. Please welcome Mr. Nato Green. L'chaim. L'chaim, salud. Salud, comrades. Uh, what are we drinking? Uh, tonight we're drinking a nice little drink called Floor on the Ceiling. Uh, I recently got decided I needed to, uh, to get some Chinar. 
um, which is, of course, as you all know, an Italian artichoke-based liqueur. Obviously. So, obviously. So the floor on the ceiling is gin, uh, sherry, sweet vermouth, and chinar with a flamed orange peel. So it's very, it's it's funky. It's Nothing delicious. but the best from yeah. Nato Green. Uh, we're going to have a whole recipe of cocktail books from the Bituation Room. That's right. Nato Green's Bituation. You know what I always say? People say that my cocktail tastes are too posh, but nothing's too good for the proletariat. That's right. Hell yeah, Chinar. You're like, yeah, we don't have food. We've got Chinar. Like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> no labor rights. Chinar. Let, uh, let-, <laughs> let them eat Amaro Nonino. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I can't wait. Um, that's going to be Bezos's like tagline for his campaign. Um all right, let's also bring into the habituation room social movement facilitator who has trained thousands of activists in the U.S. and across the globe. He is the executive director of the Wildfire Project, a nonviolent direct action coordinator with the Ruckus Society, and has spent most of the last 20 years as an organizer and coordinator in ecological and racial justice sectors, building the movement for climate justice. Currently, he's working with Choose Democracy, an organization committed to the prevention of an undemocratic power grab through nonviolent means, please welcome Joshua Khan Russell. So grateful to be here. Jo- uh, Joshua and NATO. Um, well, NATO, I understand you have been working on a groundbreaking, transformative, dope uh, campaign with uh, the nurses union in Alameda County. Uh, yeah, tell not, me about that. Uh, not not just the, not to, it wasn't just nurses it was the, it was all of the healthcare workers who who work for Alameda County most mostly in Oakland uh, Oakland California there are about uh, three thousand of them nurses but also you, other types of healthcare workers your nurses aides your social workers physical therapists hospital janitors and food service workers lab techs like really all all the uh, walks of life and. Uh, we just organized a, a 3,000 worker strike, a five day strike in Oakland um, of yeah. healthcare workers fighting not just for a fair union contract that protected their working conditions, but also one that made fundamental improvements to healthcare for poor people in the East Bay and uh, challenged the long term structural disinvestment by the by the government in public health systems. And it looks like we're winning. Um, it, the, the strike is over. Uh, the campaign yeah. the, the ca- campaign is not, but uh, we've realigned the politics in the East Bay on the issue, and um, and uh, and our, it was incredible. Um, Josh helped, um, uh, like in early March, as we were as as I knew this was on the horizon, as we were about to head into shelter in place. I like called Joshua in a panic, like I just needed a sounding board of someone to think through with me how I needed to completely reinvent organizing given the limitations of the pandemic, okay. and. Um, Joshua Joshua humored me on the phone for half an hour and gave me like, and mostly was like, you know, in the way that he does was like, okay, NATO sounds like you've got under control. You could do this. And, um, (laughs) and believed in me and you you could, and I could. Uh, And so like, it wasn't just incredible that we organized a strike under the pandemic, you know, uh, in this day and age, in the darkest hour on the darkest timeline, but also given all the limitations of the pandemic, like normally when I've organized hospital strikes, I spend weeks sitting in break rooms and like being in the building, talking to people and couldn't do it. So mm-hmm. had to like um, really dig deep and figure out completely new ways of, of organizing, um, organizing the strike. And it was so wildly successful. I lost weight on the strike 
Um, I, cause I got a lot of steps in, I was clocking 13,000 steps a day Just around so your own home. Just like, no, pacing. no, no. Like, you know, we were out, like, <laughs> like la lapping the hospital, you know, running around to the different facilities. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and also, um, it, like it was a very Oakland strike. So like, like, because it, it, this is possibly the most Oakland of Oakland things of all time. People were literally ghost riding the whip on the picket line. Um, so, uh, that was fantastic. It was just a, like a real um, incredible energy uh, and joy of, that our members had to like feel their feel their power um, and uh, and 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 to win. Congratulations, everyone! Uh, thank uh, congratulations, NATO. I was like, everyone needs to thank NATO. Um, uh, that is so exciting. And if y'all want to hear more about sort of union organizing and labor strategy in the 21st century. NATO and I did an awesome live show with Jane McAlevey back uh, in January. And that's, I think, episode 30 or something like that. So go find that. It was such a good night. And uh, NATO put it into action again in this darkest time. And, and and if you listen to the episode, like a lot of the points that we hit with Jane about, you know, were things that we applied in this strike, power analysis, credible plan to win, structure test, framing the hard choice, leader ID, all of those things, all of those tools that we talked about with Jane on that episode, we implemented uh, successfully um, in the uh, in this campaign. I will tell you, I haven't told anyone else this, but Jane uh, has a horse. And so <laughs> in the like two weeks before the strike, I just like, again, I needed a sounding board. So I just went with her and walked her horse around the like pasture and was like, here's what I'm thinking about, about these organ. That's where you were clocking the steps. Yeah. And she was like, well, but what was your structure test though? And, uh, uh, and it was like, nay, you know, <laughs> well, Nato, if you want more, if you want more free, uh, book advice for your next book, cause you started out sharing with us, you said, it sounds like we're winning. And that's that's a good book title. That should that should be what you call your next book. I, I I'm still thinking that that when I, when the time comes that I go to write the book about my life in the labor movement, the title of the book is going to be "Can They Do That?" Mm -hmm. um, which that's is the question good. you get you get asked most often as a union organizer. That's, that's like the good. title of the entire Trump administration. There's like podcast <laughs> called "Can Can He Do That?" Yeah. Um, well, let's let's just jump right into our first segment, which, of course, as always, Joshua, you've been here once before, but it is what are you bitching about now? Joshua, what are you bitching about right now? Other than everything, well, mo most of what I'm bitching about are various aspects of um, both our natural and political world uh, burning around us, especially here in California. And. Today, well, so let, let me first say one of, one of the little joys in life for me this year, uh, mm -hmm. while we've been on lockdown and most of our movements have been on defense and has been um, beekeeping. I've, I've I've joined the ranks of other Oakland people uh, doing backyard building a backyard beehive, and wow. it's it's been throughout the last several months. Uh, just really uh, nourishing in, in just a lot of different kinds of ways. And uh, so one thing I learned is that beekeepers use smoke, a little bit of like this little smoking machine to chill out the bees if you're going to open the hive, right? Because it has some effect on their nervous systems. And uh, what kind of smoke? What? You just, you hotbox the hive? Yeah, yeah. It's CBD though, so it's okay. Uh, no, it's just, it's, it's just like, um, you know, do you mean you community benefits deeper. district? There's, 
that yeah that's what i mean yeah. um and uh but you know here in california as many people might have heard we had over a month of almost continuous the skies being completely blacked out by smoke we could, not only could we not go outside but you couldn't even open the you know leave the door open for a second longer uh, because it was toxic outside and during that period i started to read reports that all the smoke was making the bees uh act strange and that apparently um the red haze from the smoke both like it, it messes up with their sense of smell their ability to locate food and and as as you know bees are central to our ability to eat food they're key pollinators um and it is messing up the bees all over california and i started to hear stories of people with these backyard beehives of their bees either dying or like invading each other. Basically all over Oakland, there's bee wars happening. And um, over the last- Maybe y'all should have just stuck to sourdough, dude. Just yeah, fucking for real. bread. <laughs> and so so I've I've been felt very like mother, you know, I'm like a mama bear, like very protective of, the, of, of our bees. Um, and, uh, but over the last, you know, two weeks, they started to really slow down and I was, I was getting concerned about them. Apparently they got all messed up from the smoke and weren't able to feed their queen. The queen died and our hive started to die. And over this weekend, we like cracked it open because suddenly there were more bees swarming and we're like, oh, they're back. It's all good. Uh -huh. They're not back. What who is back is all these uh, robber bees from other hives. And there was literally like this morning, the bees were like flying in the air and like, uh, what's the word? They, they were basically, they were fighting airborne. So they were like clashing into each other and tumbling to the ground. There were like yellow jackets involved and they were somersaulting in the air. And it was really interesting to watch, but also they were not only stealing all the honey, but like systematically breaking down the hive. And so- uh, They're like the proud boys of, uh, of honeybees right there, dude. You have some- Proud bees, proud yeah, bees. Proud they have, bees. it's- it's a like their logo is like a honeycomb that kind of goes like this that they've appropriated from working class subcultures of bees in Europe. But the like a, like, like a honeycomb with horns on it. <laughs> yeah, and it's and the honey was so good too. We got oh. one harvest this year. We got one harvest. Um, oh well, that's yeah. that's a good that's a good thing to bitch about. I uh, I I hope one day. I mean, there there will be no problem once we can have like little robotic queen bees and who never die, right? Like what yeah, could go right? wrong? The um, robot queens in general, in most contexts, I'm all for. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh man, well, good luck with that, Joshua. Like, I mean, look, maybe, who knows? After November, maybe suddenly the queen will resuscitate. I don't know. Something will happen. I feel like so the skies will open. And, we're we're, uh, we're going to try again, but um, yeah, we're going to try again. <laughs> um. Nato, what are you bitching about? Uh, well, I'm bitching about the fact that um, my children are too smart. Um, uh, so, as you know, I have 12 year old twins. Humble brag. My children are too smart. <laughs> They're too smart for me. Uh, I am my... too good of a parent. No, 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 no. no. It's, it, you know, but so I have 12 year old twins, and this is like, th this is on brand. You would expect that my children would be good at what? Arguing. Um, and so, uh, like, just, you know, just before I came on the podcast, one of them was 
uh, trying to negotiate for the right to watch more television. And we were saying, no, you'd, you'd watched enough, enough television today. And they're like, well, everything else is boring. And, uh, and I was like, I don't care. And they said, uh, and, and they said, this idea that boredom inspires creativity is a lie that parents tell children to get them to stop watching television. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, pretty good one, kid. <laughs> Strong campaign here. Uh, that is good. Um, but you, you could easily twist that into like, write your own story, you know, like the future is yet unwritten. I don't know, some, some crap, like what happened to journaling and, you know, right. Well, so it was like, okay, but still, still no on the television. And that's, that's how, how they were like, okay, well then I'm going to make a vegan donut in a cup. Uh, and so that was like, yeah, so that's like a great outcome, right? It's like, okay, well, like if I, if I can't just sit there and watch Netflix, then I'm going to, I'm going to, I have no choice, but to resort to baking. Love it. Or, or beekeeping. Yeah. Or, yeah. One of those things. I think that is more productive for sure. Vegan donuts mm, in a cup. In a cup. Who doesn't love it? Um, I am bitching about the, uh, the fact that I'm a little bit out of it is because I have a hangover. First hangover, I think, since March or before. Um, I'm not going to name names and I'm not going to name locations, but I did go to a wedding that um, didn't have very many people, maybe like 30. And I was the only one wearing a mask. Just me and my date and Matt Lieb were the only people wearing a mask the entire time. And it, it's like, it's got to be like um, being, I felt like the only person wearing a condom at an orgy, you know, or like, <laughs> what are we doing? Like, we should be all wearing these, right? Like, this is, no, no. Oh, okay. Oh, wow. Wow. Um, it wasn't in a big city center, but... Uh, you guys, the pandemic is still real. It's still happening. In fact, it's worsening. So I know everyone's over it, but fucking bling out your mask, man. Make it look sexy. Make it fashion, but put it on your goddamn face. Um, you know, it was outside. We were generally safe. There was like a lot of hand sanitizer. I mean, I was trying to like just secretly spray people with hand sanitizer, <laughs> but uh, it was upsetting. It was quite disturbing. Did you... Uh, at what point do you do you say something? Because that's that's the moment when you're, at least for me, when when I'm like in a situation I don't expect safety wise. I'm like, oh, I'm gonna say something. I'm gonna leave. Am I gonna roll with it? Uh, how like how do you roll up to a wedding where you don't know anyone and immediately start just shaming people? You know, and just like <laughs> talking shit. Like I would have had to be so drunk. But what the the silver lining is that uh, Matt Lieb did give give a speech and sort of facetiously um, shame them all on stage while he was wearing a mic. I mean, while he was wearing a mask and speaking into a mic that he had just sanitized. So he was he just completely shamed them, and they all laughed at themselves like <laughs> we are gonna die. Um, but it was a lovely wedding. Love the people who are getting married. I might have broken my no hug rule. But uh, everything was masked. It's just scary. I'm sure we've all been in these situations and they're so bizarre because it is this like really weird peer pressure of like, well, if you don't, I won't. Like it's, it is very safe sex. Yeah, exactly. Related. You know, where it's mm -hmm. like, what's the 
MO? Like, how do I don't, I don't want to be awkward and say like, should we use protection or are you, you know, you know, whatever, do you have an IUD or do you have a, whatever it is? Like, I don't know, but we have to, it's like, it's like talking, it's like talking about safe sex right now. Socializing is talking about safe sex. Maybe, um, maybe people will get better about affirmative consent as a result of this. Like, like maybe the, the starting place of that conversation just starts at like, uh, can we, can I be six feet away from you? And then let's, we'll work our way closer. Practice. Our society's yeah. practicing. Yeah. Absolutely. All right. Let's get into the week. A lot of things happen this week, but in my book, in this show, only three things happen. We're going to go over it in our next segment, The Week Where. This was The Week Where. The Senate Judiciary Committee held a confirmation hearing for Judge Amy Coney Barrett after and after watching her refuse to acknowledge climate change or what her position on reproductive rights is and refuse to call suspending an election or intimidating voters illegal, I'm going to be honest and say, bring back the rapey drunk. Like, Brett Kavanaugh's hearing was somehow less triggering than this. I don't know how it's possible. I want it back. Let's hear more about Squee. Uh, that dude sounded chill compared to what's going on now. Uh, speaking of triggering, this is also the week where after the hearing was finished, Diane Feinstein called it the, quote, best hearing she had participated in and then not just shook the maskless test refusing Lindsey Graham's hand, but then leaned in for a hug. And I'll tell you right now, <laughs> I'm not going to miss her. I won't like I don't you know, the DNC is going to be asking for my signature on like a get well Diane card in a little bit and I will not sign it. Just no. Mm -mm. Um, not only did she call the hearing of a far right ideologue that's happened less than a month before a presidential election, the best hearing, she broke CDC COVID guidelines to hug Lindsey Graham. You guys, that's like breaking fast to eat shit. You know, like, you know, you know who else she didn't hug? The adorable kids who came to beg her to sign on to the Green New Deal way before there was a pandemic. She didn't hug them, which means mm -hmm. Diane Feinstein only hugs infectious babies. I mean, you know, I'm not sure that I would think of hugging Diane Feinstein as like a good thing. Do you know what I mean? The like, would you really? She's not good at hugging. There's no warmth or love or. It was a know. very side. Yeah. Uh, it wasn't t tenderness. They, they they didn't they didn't relax into each other's bodies <laughs> uh, and feel the softening. Look, people are hating on Diane Feinstein for not putting up much of a fight around the the Barrett confirmation hearings, but but us hashtag resistance gas queen liberals like me know that she's really paying eleven dimensional political chess jujitsu. And the Democrats are only pretending to be craven cowards, more concerned with civility than justice, just in order to lull the Republicans to sleep so that they can immediately pack the courts on January 21. Just kidding. What was I we thinking? We can all uh, dream. Yeah. Uh, Feinstein's a centrist millionaire whose political career began uh, with the murder of Harvey Milk and will similarly end in bloodshed as well uh, <laughs> during the great Antifa Proud Boy Civil War of 2021. God. Um, honestly, like, I, I think... A lot of people say that Feinstein and other establishment Dems are just Republicans. Um, I would agree, but not because of their politics. I think it's because they're so old, they forget which party they're in. They're just, <laughs> <laughs> just like, I am a Demican. You're like, what? 
I am a proud Demican. Yeah, the Demican party, when's lunch? You know, like they're so decrepit. Like at what point? And honestly, that's like, I'm saying that facetiously, but when you've been in power for that long, it must feel like you're just, oh, we're part of the ruling elite. What? (laughs) We're supposed to be different. Um, All right, I'm going to move on to the second story. This was the week where Joe Biden and Donald Trump had competing town halls and you had to pick one of them to watch like the scene in hook where like rufio and peter draw the line in the sand uh except the lost boys do grow up and they all have dentures um biden's town hall won the ratings game and he was were they on at the same time yeah on at the exact same time so you had to pick one supposedly yeah can i just say that growing up i had such a crush on rufio so cute, right? Oh, yeah. Well, he, he was the first punk rock looking guy in the mainstream media. So I felt represented. <laughs> yeah. You know, okay. So yes, there were, there were dueling town halls and it's a little bit of, there's been a lot of criticism of NBC over this, obviously, but also one of the biggest ones is why would you run it at the same time? There's no real reason unless you're straight up trying to pick off ratings from ABC. That's neither here nor there. Um, the uh, the Biden town hall actually did win the ratings game, mm-hmm. and I felt like Biden was incredibly cogent. I've said he's been really bad on this show. I thought he was good this time around. Um, he stuck the landing on several points. He repeated his stance on police reform um, about how cops should shoot suspects in the leg instead of shooting to kill. <laughs> and yes, that seems like a really bad answer to the question of police reform, but that answer is does make sense because it's coming from a guy whose presidency would be a shot in the leg instead of a fatal shot to the heart. So it's it's harm reduction. I'm gonna, exactly. Mm-hmm. I'm going to take that shot in the leg. You know, I'm voting for Biden. Take that shot in the leg. It's a great slogan. Uh, so so Trump was was at, I watched this, the part of the Trump debate where he was asked about QAnon. Yes. And 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 the interviewer says, "What's your what's your position on QAnon?" And he said, "Excuse me, what?" And she said, "You know the 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 false baseless conspiracy theory that the Democrats are involved in a satanic pedophilia ring." And he said, "I don't know anything about QAnon except that they're against pedophilia, and I agree." Now, here's the thing about that: Trump lies constantly; can't stop lying. Lying is his favorite thing. And the statement about QAnon was lies start to finish, because normally you might say that being against pedophilia is not a controversial position to take as a politician. Like what politician is is not against pedophilia? Donald Trump, as it happens, uh, who has clearly filled out his preferred customer punch card on the Jeffrey Epstein pedophilia island. So (laughs) when Donald Trump says, I don't know about QAnon, except that they're against pedophilia, which I agree with. What he he's it's it, the the entire sentence is lies because obviously he does know about QAnon and he's not against pedophilia, so uh, it's a plus lying there. Uh, yeah. He also, oh yeah, you first. No, go ahead. No, just I mean I I I sat out of both of them, but I I love I mean the the fact that Trump got lower ratings was actually the most satisfying part of my week because before they happened, he was bragging that he was getting free airtime. And it was clear that the only reason that he chose uh, to do it simultaneously was to be able to brag about his ratings. And so getting to see his ego taken down a peg when that was his entire, that's, there's no other reason to do them simultaneously other than to say like, people like me, they're, they don't actually like Joe Biden. You know, like that's their main argument is like his rallies are small. Mine's so much bigger. And when his isn't so much bigger, it's uh, highly satisfying. 
Absolutely. And and that was probably a stipulation for NBC. Like, I will do this with you, uh, this thing that you absolutely don't need to do, NBC, and I will do it, but it has to be at the same time. Mm-hmm. You know that was part of it. And yeah, it fucking backfired in his face. Uh, on the QAnon stuff, uh, it's true, though, NATO, they do fight pedophilia, okay? It's the pedophilia that only exists in their minds. And that is really where the battle begins. You know, you just, if it's there, it's like, I'm fighting space aliens, you know? Apparently I'm, there's all of these groups that actually do work on child sex trafficking. And they're like, this QAnon thing is the worst thing that has ever happened to us because we're being inundated with false claims and it is totally taking up all of it. Like it's actually really, really hurting the work that we do. Yeah, like, are, is any is anyone from QAnon like raising money for those <laughs> anti-sex trafficking organizations? I don't think so. Um, right. I, I here's the thing about conspiracy theorists: uh, they always avoid the conspiracy right in front of their faces. They mm-hmm. compl- like like Epstein, right? Known child uh, uh, sex trafficker and pedophile. Um, you know, conspiracy theorists. You're like, you know, well, hey, look, dark money is actually running much of Washington, and they're like, yeah, and the lizards. You're like, no, <laughs> just conspiracy theories are people who want to sound interesting, but who are too stupid to put in the work of reading. So they're like, oh, well, I have to sound interesting. So I'm just going to, you know, someone's going to tell me what to think. You don't think uh, QAnon is having thoughtful screenings of the movie Spotlight about the the, <laughs> the cover up by the Catholic Church of Child Molestation? <laughs> They're just, they're just so. doing double features of spotlight and the two popes, and then having lengthy debates about about morality and individual responsibility <laughs> in the face of pedophilia. That is such a good sketch, dude. We need to do that. We should absolutely do. We need to pose as QAnon followers and just actually have an honest conversation about child sex trafficking and exploitation. And they'll be like, "No, no, 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 no. Where's the pizza?" We're like, oh no, they'll be pizza. <laughs> Well, for what it's worth, as I, I identify as a lizard enthusiast, and if lizards really were running our government, I think it'd be a lot better than than, than human beings. It's, uh, yeah, it's too bad that, that lizards aren't actually in charge. Lizards know when a fly, like, actually lands on them. You know, like, lizard will swat that shit off. That'll eat it before it, like, stays on there for two minutes. You think of, anyway. Yeah, I, uh, I keep lizards that are actually more affectionate than most most mammals. They're 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 sweeter to me than than cats. Really? Yeah. We could keep talking about it if you want. I'm 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 <laughs> not sure whether to keep it. Yeah, but they're very yeah, cute. Sure. They're called crested geckos. They're called crested geckos, or affectionately called cresties, by a community of people who are enthusiasts about them. That are unfortunately called herpers, which is a really bad name uh, oh. for herpetologists. And uh, it's a weird subculture. I'm involved in it. This is my first time admitting it publicly, but it's true. This is like this is the second public admission that you've. I feel like right, like the beekeeping. When I hang out with you guys, it just all comes out. Can you can you do LARPing as a herper? Uh, maybe. I've never I've never done. I don't know much about LARPing. Yeah, I I bet you the Venn diagram is bigger than what. You know, the guys who dress up in dinosaur costumes. I feel like they're LARPing herpers. Mm. They're like, uh-huh. they're the big lizards. Uh, yeah. Yeah. All right. Yeah. One final story before we let's move on. Last story of the week. This was the week where in the face of record breaking early voting and early turnout, uh, 
uh, early turnout, record turnout, the Republican Party got a little nervous. Uh, and in California, put a number of voter suppressing, uh, pulled a, vote, a number of voter suppressing stunts, I'm going to read, including here in California, putting up 50 fake ballot drop boxes, which they are now refusing to take down. And the best part of this story is that if you see the ballot boxes they actually have on them, it says uh, tampering with this ballot box is a California felony. Uh, like I get that Republicans in California are all juiced on like supplements that have fake FDA, you know, approval labels, but like, this seems like a bridge too far, you know, like how dumb do you have to be to do that? This is like a murderer writing second degree murder, 30 life, no 30, 30 to life, no parole in his victim's blood. Like that's exactly what this <laughs> is. It sounds like, it sounds like that thing. Like, in the eighties, there was like a like the trope. There was like a hack comedian joke of of, of of observational comedy about like the tag on mattresses that says "removal of this tag is punishable by law." Yeah. And like there was like five hundred comedians that did a joke about like who enforces that law. You know, um, it's the same. The mattress police is the same as the fake ballot box police. What was <laughs> weird about? It, it really is the same. That's amount. That's the amount of like election security we've got in this country. Like, <laughs> well, and this is a really good preview of of you know a, a, another way that they're trying to steal the election. So it's a good preview of the next segment. But it's also extra dumb to do it in California because it it's so blatant, it's so explicit. You're doing it in a state where even if you succeed in stealing a bunch of ballots and lighting them on fire or whatever they're going to do. From the ballots in those boxes, they're not going to win California. California is also the place that they're most likely to get exposed with it. And so it's so clear that they're just throwing everything against the wall. And, and I do think the more that Trump trails in the polls, the more they realize that the only way they're going to pull this out is through various illegal or extra legal means. And they're just trying everything they can. Some of it we're going to find out about. Some of it we're not. Some of it we'll find out about 10 years from now. But this was maybe the dumbest one yes uh, well, also like mostly republicans are going to put their ballots in there right i feel like they were in like orange county in ventura they're like it's not yes. it's not like they were in like <laughs> like like oakland and you know and uh uh, uh santa monica it was like like yeah. they're they're suppressing their own votes right uh it's some weird kind of like natural selection of voters I mean, at this point, you know, I just feel like Democrats should go set up ballot boxes in Republican districts, but just like write in Sharpie on compost bins. This is a ballot box. And Republicans <laughs> will be like, this seems legit. Sharpies are highly convincing to Republicans, apparently. Yeah. As long as you write that stipulation, you yeah. know, tampering with this trash can slash ballot box is a federal crime. Or, or a felony, a California felony, whatever. This is, We should get actual mattresses. And put little slits in them to put to put ballots to in. put ballots in, and then be like, "Do you want to cut off this tag?" I will say, I voted already. By the way, hell yeah! Congratulations! I voted, today. I voted and it's uh, a Sunday, Joshua. Yeah, I know it's true, but I, and 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 I put actually. I put it in the post office box because I wasn't actually sure about the, whether the ballot boxes were correct or not. So I just put it. You in didn't just leave box. it in your mailbox and turn the little like flag up. Like when's the last time you sent a, a letter that way? Like, do 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 do. Totally. We don't have a box like that at our house, but we need a we need a little red flag on our. I think that'd be nice. That's what that red flag. Um, it would define yay, a lot of our mail feel? anyway. How 
So let's move on to our next segment, which is talking about this election. And we're so short out from it. Um, and I'm just really excited about Howie Hawkins. <laughs> <laughs> you missed all the shade I threw on the, on the Green Party the last couple of weeks, NATO. It's been it's been good. It's been fun. Um, what I'm gift, just excited gift, for gift that keeps on giving. I'm, I mean, I'm excited for Roque de la Fuente Guerra uh, running with Kanye Omari West as his vice president. Roque Fountain of War uh, <laughs> running with <laughs> Kanye Omari West. I don't know what that means, but Fountain of War. I didn't know Omari was his middle name until he was on the ballot. See, and now you're like, you know what? Yes. Thanks for teaching me. Yeah. A strong middle name. Um, I, I want to just bring in a super chat and bring in and, and talk to our next com or bring in guys, my fucking bro. I got a fucking hangover. Y'all <sighs> super chat. Kai Allen, uh, who, who says they finally caught news broke and want to know how I'm feeling or we're feeling and coping now that the election is almost here. Thank you for watching news broke. Everyone watched the last episode all about social programs in the U S and the history of Republicans saying that they are communist or socialist when they're not. Um, Fuck, dude. I'm uh, Joshua. I mean, I feel like you you can weigh in on this because I, as someone who's got to prepare scripts for release days in advance that are thought out and all this, we are like half writing scripts about. So Trump is one again, or so Biden's <laughs> one. You know, so we don't know. So uh, there are troops in the streets, and so it's it's hard to you can't write ahead of time. We're just saving the last two pieces that we've got for the show, just as a like bleh, you know like whatever. I feel like we're just going to be live reporting from the streets, but yeah. Whatever it is, it can't possibly be worse than the night that you and I spent together on election night 2016, Francesca, when when we were live on the air on, on AJ Plus, live streaming and trying to like make jokes as the news coming came in that Trump won and no one could see that off camera we had a bunch of weeping mariachis. <laughs> no, no, no. They were not weeping. They were consoling me. I was yeah. like, "Ay, lo siento." They were like, "Oh, lo siento también." And 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 I had brought a flask <laughs> and was drink and had already started drinking. And then a producer came over and was like, "I'm sorry, this is Al Jazeera. You can't drink." <laughs> <laughs> it is true. The alcohol uh, culture at Jazeera uh, very weak. Very very weak. Um, I.e., non-existent lime. Uh, no, dude, y'all, if you don't know the story, I, at AJ Plus, Newsbrook thought it would be funny, i.e. me and Matt Lieb and Kate Elston thought it would be funny to hire a mariachi band for when Hillary wins or would win. And God damn it, the day Biden wins, I'm going to run out and hire the first mariachi band. <laughs> I need my mariachi. And we were like, well, what if, but, uh, what if Trump wins? And we're like, ah, oh, whatever. They'll play like a sad song. No. No, not even a sad, slow mariachi song. First of all, the saddest mariachi song is still like hella happy. Um, <laughs> but there's nothing you can do. I hope for not a, a re not a repeat, but to answer the person's question, I don't, I, I am not, uh, I'm not expecting to not be holding my breath. Uh, and like, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna hold my breath. What am I saying? My breath will be held well through the end of the year. Like there is no <laughs> sweet release for me. I, even, even if there is a landslide. Um, and I know Josh, you, and with all your work, you guys have been talking about these different scenarios. 
So um, tell me about uh, tell me about Choose Democracy and what have you guys what have you guys been plotting over there? <laughs> the, well, it's been counter plotting mostly. Uh, but but I honestly will give the opposite advice about holding our breath. We have to like breathe as deeply as possible because our expectation is that this is going to be a shit show for quite a while. And the the likelihood that it's a contested election in some way is almost a certainty. Um, and so, well, first, let's just talk about why a contested election and yes, a coup we think is is highly possible. Um, first of all, he said it. You know, Trump is the first president in American history that said that he wouldn't commit to leaving office in a peaceful transfer of power. That's right. what most of the news focuses on. But it is significant. You know, it's not just a talking point. It's a big deal. Um, he's also set up the predicate of uh, discrediting mail-in ballots. And he's also enlisted Attorney General William Barr to do the same thing, uh, which tells us that William Barr is under the direction of the Trump administration. And it's hard to imagine he wouldn't jump at the chance to stop ballots from being counted uh, if he had the chance. Um, sure. And so, the, I mean, honestly, Trump tried to discredit the 2016 election and he won it. <laughs> I right. mean, the idea, he's, he's already set everything up to uh, create conditions in which there is chaos after it's happening. And also just to take a step back, the likelihood that we're going to have results on election night is almost zero. The likelihood that we're going to have results a month from election night is actually pretty low, right? Because there are, it's not just the amount of time it takes to logistically count mail-in ballots right. for states that are not necessarily prepared for it, but also to navigate all the kinds of legal challenges that are potentially coming because the Trump administration has been basically building legal machinery for a year anticipating this. Uh, and so we should buckle up for a complicated and bumpy ride. Mm -hmm. Um, and in addition, I mean, there, ju just to like fully kind of lay the groundwork of our assessment, which is in terms of voter intimidation, Trump is recruiting. Not, not only did he say, you know, proud, proud boys stand back, you know, stand ready or whatever, um, that, that he's recruiting po poll watchers, um, particularly in swing states, which he's calling an army. The website is armyfortrump.com or armyfortrump.something. And so he's, of course, invoking this language of an armed confrontation. Um, and there's, he's also already, you know, like every time I see in his rally them chant like eight more years, eight more years, the incentives that he has to stay in office at all costs, whether that's to avoid prosecution, et cetera, are high. Right. And so also we should mention that the Republicans have control of the Senate and have um, a control of a huge number of state houses, especially in swing states, by huge margins because of gerrymandering, for example. Um, and so he's told us that he's going to try this. And, and, and we do believe that the, you know, I said this earlier in the show, but the more he trails in the polls, the clearer it is to their side that they're going to need to use these extra legal means. And so yeah. um, our expectation is that we, because we're getting all these warning signs, it would be foolish both not to prepare for uh, a potential coup and also foolish for us to depend on the Democrats to handle it because they handled it so well in 2000, which we can talk about in a minute yeah. if you want. Well, um, and I think, mm -hmm. oh, I mean, I was just going to say, right, I think related to that, um, and you're talking about the machinery to set this entire thing up, um, 
you have Amy Coney Barrett who's being rushed yeah. through, completely rushed through. And it's not even just Roe v. Wade, the ACA, or religious freedom BS that she'll be ruling on, but in the immediate, um, trying mm -hmm. for a repeat of what happened in the year 2000, Bush exactly. v. Gore, and the stopping of, count of counting of the ballots in Florida. And I didn't know this until this week that Amy Coney Barrett and Justice Brett Ka Kavanaugh were on Bush's legal team. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And th that's part of their argument for trying to fast track her confirmation is the Republicans are saying, well, if there's a disputed election, it might go to the Supreme Court and we need we can't we need a, a you know, an, a, another justice to break the tie. So they're actually it's their own argument that they're going to try to steal the election. And we do believe that if the 2000 election were called what it was, which was a coup, yeah. that there would have been an opportunity for us to organize because the thing about coups and which we'll, I'll, I'll talk about more in a second is that coup plotters want us to believe that we have no agency uh, in what is actually a very fluid and chaotic situation historically in, in, in most coups. I mean, most, most people in the U S when they think of a coup, they think of like tanks rolling in the streets. That's not really what we're talking about at all uh, in this situation, but it's about exploiting what is actually a pretty vague kind of set of mandates from the constitution in order to uh, violate democratic norms. And mm. so j just to be clear what we mean when, when our organization choose democracy, when we talk about a coup, we're not talking about a situation in which, you know, Trump loses the election and all of the institutions in our society also believe he lost the election and he's just refusing to leave despite that. What we're talking about is either claims of victory before all the votes are counted, which we can sure. talk about that scenario, which is, is likely, or attempts to stop uh, vote, uh, the, counts, uh, the, the votes from being counted, or refusing to accept the loss, and in the process of refusing to accept the loss, actually the administration being able to organize the institutions of society to legitimize his claim to victory, which is what happened in 2000, which just to, let's remind folks what happens there, which was there was a, um, the Republicans leveraged a 5-4 Supreme Court majority to steal an election where there was a um, contest of legitimacy in Florida. Mm -hmm. And uh, the Democrats were able to get the Florida Supreme Court to initiate a recount. And uh, everything was stacked against them. You know, Jeb Bush, George Bush's brother was in, you know, the governor of the state of Florida. And the Republicans got the Supreme Court to stop the recount, stop the counting of votes, right? And then the Supreme Court basically gave it to Bush, even though later when they were fully counted, it would have gone to Gore. So we had a situation in which the person who, who won by the most votes, even in the electoral college, did not get the presidency. And so that is a violation of democratic norms. And what did we learn from that? We learned that the impulse politicians you can get away with it that's yeah, what we learned exactly. you can fucking get away with it sorry but also the yeah. impulse go keep going yeah well and how can they get away with it they can get away with it when we all rely we, we relied at that time on the democrats to say if it was legitimate or not and they of course capitulated right and so why do we call it a coup in so we we think it's important to call it a coup not to be hyperbolic right mm -hmm. not to you know, conjure sort of extreme scenarios in the minds of people in the U.S., but to be precise, right? And we're calm with calling it a coup. And so 
Um, when we call it a coup, the reason we use that word is that it's a red line that is a violation of democratic norms that most people in this country can get behind, which is different than talking about voter suppression, election tampering, stealing, which we are actually kind of inoculated against in this country. And it helps us understand the dynamics of coups because part of what our organization is trying to organize people around is to understand this is different than typical activism, right? The dynamics of coups, if, if we understand this as a coup, we actually have a lot of historical and evidence-based data about what is, what's going on, right? It, it helps us actually build strategy. And historically coups succeed when people freeze, when they don't know what to do, right? Sure. Because it is a contest for legitimacy that is happening. And when people freeze, the institutions that go along with the coup plotters end up carrying the narrative forward. And so part of what we're doing is helping psychologically and logistically prepare people to respond in a way that's actually counter to a lot of the way that activists tend to think. So like uh, a activists tend to think in terms of like protest politics, which is where like, you know, you know, if it, typically we build movements based on longstanding grievances and you try to polarize a situation and you pick a target and you vilify them and then you build a base and then try to leverage that base in terms of, of, of uh, your pressure points in pressuring that target. That's, that's a long arc. That's what we're used to doing. That's not what we need to do in this kinds of situation. We need this to be armed. <laughs> oh, the, um, well, that debate is it, yeah no well that, that's I, actually yeah what were you gonna say i know i i think it's it is uh really depressing that a lot of people on the left i seriously am depressed by it i'm a generally i believe in nonviolence. uh obviously i believe in militancy as well but i think it, it's fucked up when you have when you have opposition being um uh, repressed to the point where uh, otherwise nonviolent organizers would be like, well, maybe we should get arms. I mean, you've got all kinds of people who would otherwise never talk about this stuff, my mom included, are like, maybe we just get guns, you know? And it's like, <laughs> is that, are we there yet? Is that what we want to do? One thing, there is a question, and I want to, I, I don't, you know, mean to totally interrupt you, but there's a question online that I have as well. Andrew Williams on YouTube says, who's going to back Trump if he loses? Secret Service, the military, I don't see who would protect him. And I kind of agree with that because of the all of the comments around, mm -hmm. you know, veterans being losers or fallen soldiers being losers and suckers and mm -hmm. et cetera. And the fact that we know that, you know, Jim, Jim Mattis was the one to speak out against Trump and reveal that information. And all these former generals who've signed no, numerous letters about how what an ill fit president Trump is. I don't see the military backing him, but I do see groups like Bortac or, uh, you know, a customs and border patrol unit who've been in Portland and in Seattle. I see them backing, backing him. So, I, I mean, what mm -hmm. do you, what, what are you, what are you guys talking about in terms of that? This is a really awful discussion we're having, but we yeah, have totally. to be having it. It's, I mean, it, yeah, I mean, that as an organizer, I'm so exhausted that we've been, we've been pushing to actually try to get a democracy in this country and now realizing we actually need to defend the ground that we stand on right now. Um, and, and that's really what we're in. So I, I do want to circle back to the violence thing, but to respond to that question, um, the way that we imagine this happening is that the Republicans have a narrative 
that the election was stolen by all these fake ballots, right? And there's a moment where they're going to try to organize the various legitimizers and institutions that they have influence over to say that they are the rightful winners, right? And so the amount sure, of institutions- and they, could, sorry, and, and they could easily be like, oh, look, we found 500 or 5,000 ballots for Donald Trump that got thrown out, i.e. Exactly. we just made up by ourselves. Like that's- absolutely what's going to happen. Anyway, keep going. Yeah. Yeah. No, they're totally going to shine the spotlight on random little inconsistencies and different kinds of ways to build that narrative. And so that's what we mean by a contest for legitimacy, where if I don't think we're going to be in a situation where if Trump has lost the narrative of legitimacy, that there are going to be institutions like the military who are going to be like, we want Trump to stay in anyway. That's not really what we're talking about. What we're talking about is what is the role that regular people can play in helping this battle for legitimacy? And so that's what our, our project, Choose Democracy, is doing, is trying to psychologically prepare people across the political spectrum. It's a nonpartisan project where we're saying that if we move into this default protest mode where we vilify Trump, we're actually playing into an existing narrative of polarization that largely helps him, that we, we actually can't fall into that trap. We need to mm -hmm. fall, we need to instead move into we are protecting and defending democracy. And as someone who has personally, and I'm not speaking for choose democracy right now, uh, but as someone on the left who's been entirely frustrated with the way that, for example, the Democrats constantly tack to the center instead of trying to build actually a real progressive base, for example, um, or or the 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 way that people try to play out what is called respectability politics, which mm -hmm. I actually don't have a lot of respect respect for. Uh, <laughs> in this situation, we are, because we're in a contest for legitimacy, we are trying to, as quickly as possible, pull an uncertain center over to our side to define the terms of who gets to, to, to say that they are legitimacy legitimate in being the rightful heirs to the throne, you know? And in that context, our goal is number one, to pull out as many sectors of society as possible. Uh, number two, uh, and, and that's what circles back to your question of violence. So like my mom, violence. my mom can safely take the streets or we need involved. your mom involved. We do. My mom just signed the, the petition yesterday. So, so can you, can you make this more concrete for me, Joshua, the day after election day, what do we do? So, well, let's start, I will answer that, but let me also start with what we're doing right now, because the best way to prevent a coup is to prepare for it. And so we've made a pledge that I, I'm sure both of you are familiar with the pledge of resistance that happened in the eighties to uh, around Reagan, putting troops on the ground in Nicaragua. We were inspired by that. And the pledge has four parts. Who can forget? Who can forget? Um, it, it, and so that the, the more we organize in advance, well, let, let me also say coups historically, half of all coups since the 1950s have been stopped by nonviolent resistance, have been stopped by people power. Yeah. And so our strategies are built on the empirical data that we've learned from those things. And one of the first things that we've learned it, well, number one, most coups happen clandestinely, right? The leader, the coup plotters don't tweet it out in advance. So we actually have Except time to prepare. <laughs> right. Exactly. So, so we should take advantage of that. That's an advantage that we have is to get Man, ready for it. Pinochet's tweet would have been fire. It would have <laughs> all caps lock. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and so in this case, what we're doing is we have a pledge now, for people. Suharto yeah. was a 
fucking Instagram guy, though. Yeah, yeah, super Instagram. <laughs> yeah, there's mean, mean well, Lord. The algorithm is in his favor. Yeah. The so w- what we're trying to do. So our pledge has four parts. First is that we're going to vote. We're going to participate in the process um, because the best way to pr- l- let me also take one other step back and say there was um, an interesting report by the uh, transition and what was it called? The Transition Integrity Project, which was came out in, in June or July. There was about 100 DC insiders, bipartisan, people we don't really like necessarily, but people who know the game and how it's played, who did all these war game scenarios mm-hmm. and of, of different ways of, of imagining how the election is going to go down. And in just about every scenario, Trump won, except for scenarios in which one one or the other party won by a landslide. So the best way to prevent a coup is to get a landslide victory, of course. Sure. Yes. Where where the margin of victory is so big that all of the different shenanigans that they're trying don't add up to enough to overcome it. So that's plan A. Uh, but plan B So that it doesn't <laughs> and let me just say so that it doesn't necessarily get decided by the courts, because even mm-hmm. if ACB is confirmed, even you got Brett Kavanaugh, it's like, nah, man, we can't fudge these numbers to that degree. Exactly. So yes, a landslide would help in that. Keep it, it going. Yeah. So that's plan A. Plan B is so we where everyone who's signing the pledge, which we, we're just getting going. We so far have about 28,000 people who signed the pledge. Uh, the, the second part is that we're going to refuse to accept uh, the legitimacy of anyone claiming victory before all the ballots are counted. Yes. Uh, the third part is that um, if someone tries to claim victory before all the ballots are counted, uh, we are going to engage in nonviolent resistance. And then the fourth part is we're we're willing to shut down the country if necessary, and so that oh, is. Oh, that's all. <laughs> that's all. That's it. It's no big deal. It's right. no no pressure. And I will say all the shuffle does like ooh we don't know who uh, and then Bernie Sanders is our president. Like what if it's like one of those little cat fight and cartoons oh where it's like Bernie. That was like the fantasy if they both died of COVID and then there was nobody else. Yeah. Totally. The the um uh so well um the the there so there's a, there's a the, the book uh this is an uprising by Paul and Mark Engler about nonviolent resistance which where I learned a lot about the some of the stuff that you're talking about Joshua about the history mm-hmm. of nonviolent resistance movements um and uh and it talks about how like as nonviolent resistance movements sort of execute mass noncompliance um the the uh, you know the ability of the uh elite to rely on the security apparatus to to coerce rule it gets narrower and narrower Mm -hmm. their 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 room to maneuver shrinks um and it one of the things that i i i uh took away from it is that in this in the scheme of things in the scheme of like world historical tasks that you might try to take on overthrowing the government is not that hard uh uh compared to for example transforming the economy yeah, exactly. Um, so, um, <laughs> yeah. so uh, the story of the left, yeah. <laughs> as it opposed to out, Medicare yeah. for all, right? Um, Overthrowing the government is not that hard. The scenario that I am most worried about, quite frankly, is that Trump will just win. Like that, mm-hmm. that, that you know, that Trump will, uh, like, if Trump loses and then refuses to accept the result, I feel like that the story that you're telling sort of makes sense to me about how that can unfold uh, successfully. Mm -hmm. Um, The thing that keeps me up at night is that like 
Trump will appear to have won because of all the voter suppression and tampering mm -hmm. and meddling that Republicans have already done. And there's, you know, and there's not even a way to contest that after the election. Mm -hmm. um, and the Democrats will just be like, well, you know, the Florida decided to not recognize the results of uh, you know, the ballot measure to re-enfranchise all the felons. So Florida lost. That was, Yo, dude, that's, that's my thing is like, I, yeah. I would love to add just non-concession from the Democrats. Like, can the Democrats just not concede for like three weeks? Right. Maybe not even at all. Look, I was in Georgia the night that Stacey Abrams, uh, lost in parent in quotes, because, uh, that, that, uh, election was completely messed up. Um, thanks. So in part, to a lot of voter suppression. And she gave the most incredible speech that was not a concession speech. And this is the thing, whether it's Gore in the year 2000, whether it's, you know, Obama and Hillary in, in a less than 24 hours calling Donald Trump in the year 2016 co to congratulate him. It's like, Look, I look at a more recent example in Mexico, right? When AMLO, who is now president, Manuel Lopez Obrador is now president, you know, doing doing some fucked up things, doing some good things, you know, sort of a center left president. But when he lost, supposedly lost to Peña Nieto, uh, he and his supporters sat in the Zocalo. They created a whole tent city and were mm -hmm. like, fuck that. We're not going to concede. Now that tent city lasted for a very long time and eventually like petered out. But just the display of resistance exactly. is like, we need that level. We need a leader who's going to say like, look, even if Trump does win, you still need to do that shit because this is an undemocratic presidency. Well, and that's why we, I mean, we don't want to leave it up to Joe Biden to, to fight on behalf of democracy. They're, the Democrats just don't have a track record of doing that, right? And so there's, and, and I think that's where we can, can learn from other coups, whether it's like Thailand in 1992 or Argentina mm -hmm. in 1987 or Germany in 1920. All of these different ways, like part of part of our orientation is like my, my know, favorite one, by the way, I think uh -huh. was it wasn't it Alberta Fujimori in Peru in 2000, where they tried to steal the election by like coating people's ballots in honey on every line except the line that said Fujimori so that you like your pen wouldn't take mark anything but Fujimori. And then I won. Yeah. Uh, like it's like, like invisible ink. Tactic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Speaking of well, bees. you catch that's where you catch more you catch more flies with honey. What's the, I don't know the expression, but the uh, <laughs> well, to, and to what you were saying, NATO is that I mean, yeah, I mean, I mean, if Trump actually wins as the result of voter disenfranchisement, it's a disaster. But part of what we're also talking about is, I mean, some of the likely scenarios that we are thinking about are that um, either if so, we know that. Uh, mail-in ballots are going to trend towards Democratic. And so it's highly likely that on election night, the uh, the results are going to skew towards Trump more than as the mail-in uh, ballots right. start to be counted. And yeah. so number one is if he tries to declare victory before counting all the ballots and then, and then tries to make the claim that those ballots are somehow invalid. That's one scenario. Another scenario is where all these Republican controlled state legislatures uh, send in, they say, yeah, yeah, our state may have voted for Biden, but we think most of those votes are, are invalid. Ooh. And so therefore uh, we're going to send in a different slate of electors. And that's actually not, 
unprecedented. Um, in, in 1876, the same, I mean, this is actually a huge part of our history. That's in 1876, there was extreme polarization in the nation, multiple States proffered different competing slates of electors that, that governors and, and state legislatures said we have different, you know, different results. And as a result, there was a, a huge contest of legitimacy again. And the only way it was resolved was right before the inauguration. It was basically a grand bargain. That was the end of reconstruction that ushered in Jim Crow. Yes. So yes. we know that the impulse See, of democracy works. It totally works. Right. And so that's part of what we're trying to avoid is the impulse of political leaders is to cut deals. And what we've learned from, from other coups and other places is that, you know, the thing they want us to believe is that we don't have agency. Actually, at every step of the process, if we engage in noncompliance, which is different than protest, right, which is that we're, we're going to refuse to carry out the orders of the coup plotters, whether that's government bureaucrats or whether that's labor going on strike or whether that is... Uh, people engaging in protest to pressure politicians to sign the pledge, which is one of the many different kinds of action opportunities that we have uh, that, that we're talking about. Um, there's different ways to create a shift in the balance of forces at every step of the way. So even though the Constitution is unclear about a bunch of these potential contest election scenarios, at each moment, the more that we get engaged, the more it can tip the, the balance in our favor. And so that's partly why we're organizing people now that we're not waiting. And we're also, there's actually a lot of other groups doing the same thing, including in swing states. So, you know, for example, the Rochester AFL-CIO just declared that they will, you know, instigate a, a strike for themselves and call for a general strike if uh, if Trump tried to declare victory with all the ballots not being. Hey, Rochester, hell yeah. Hey, Rochester. And so there's, there's a number of different, or in, in Florida, the Dream Defenders and Sunrise are organizing uh, a youth strike and organizing uh, different ways to actually go to the ballots and do things like de-escalation if they encounter people like the Proud Boys, et cetera. And we in Choose Democracy, which you can sign our pledge at choosedemocracy.us, it's not just about some abstract pledge. It's that once people sign the pledge, they learn about, we have eight more trainings coming uh, so far planned. We're doing oh, multiple nice. trainings per week. Nice. and. Thousands of people are coming to every single training. So we're training thousands and thousands of people in everything from de-escalation to uh, ways to, to, to protect the results and also strategies to understand that what we're talking about is identifying what are the different pillars, what are the different social blocks. Oops, I just hit my microphone. I'm getting so excited. Social blocks <laughs> in society that need to consent to a power grab. And how can we pressure them to withdraw their consent to a power grab? And the thing that we've learned to arc back to what you said earlier, Francesca, about like violence or nonviolence, there's an active debate on the left about in normal protest considerations about the role of whatever violence, property destruction, confronting fascists. To us, that's not, I mean, that's an interesting debate. It's not relevant to a anti-coup situation. Sure. In an anti-coup yeah. situation where you're in a contest for legitimacy, number one, you need to pull out you, what, what we're not doing is some kind of self-righteous moral pulling out of like a insular left subculture to protest. What we're talking about is mass participation, right? And the best way to invite your mom, Francesca, is to 
have it be nonviolent, right? So yeah. And if there's watermelon, she's totally there too. Nonviolence and watermelons uh-huh. is <laughs> one of the ways that we pull people. It, it's also if you're in a contest for legitimacy, and one of one of the characteristics of fascism is that there's an administration that has a relationship to a uh, paramilitary street movement, which in this case is a bunch of the uh, various uh, not just Proud Boys but other par- um, what do you call those? Uh, Militias, militias, you know, who who are being recruited for Trump's army, right? The more that they engage in violence, we're in a contest to draw as far as a dis- of, of a distinction as possible between yes. us and, and, and them. And that's mm-hmm. and that's sort of, I mean, as as justified and uh, angry as we all might be, um, and some of our militancy may be justified. Absolutely, uh, I absolutely, I definitely agree with you, and I think that. Um, the more the more massive and the more inclusive any kind of outpouring of protest um, can be, the more likely we are to win, right? Uh, the mm-hmm. more likely we are to make things so difficult for even the, the go along to get along or get along to go along Dems um, that they have to recognize that this was illegitimate. Um, I hope we don't get to that moment. I hope Trump really does just want to leave the country as he sort of, <laughs> you know, suggested at a recent rally. Uh, also, oh my God, he's still doing rallies. But thank you so much, everyone, y'all. Uh, the pledge is in the comments and definitely sign up for one of those trainings. I know I'm going to be, I'd love to be there uh, and find out, you know, what I'm going to do. I'm also just making a local phone trip for people in my neighborhood, for people I know, um, folks I can get in touch with if we have to take the streets. We got to watch each other's pets, whatever it is. I think that's a really good thing for all of us to do. I'm Obviously, I'm going to dress Ramona up in like, you know, a little cape and whatever when we go marching. But um, thank you, Joshua. And mm-hmm. um, I want to move on to our last segment because there is an election that was not contested in this world. And there is an election that brought about so much better than a Joe Biden and of course better than a Donald Trump. And that is the election in New Zealand. Um, And that was the election of Jacinda Ardern um, who is labor's leader and was elected to another term. She is the, I don't know, the, uh, the, the AOC of Micronesia. That's not Micronesia, wherever that is. (laughs) And, uh, and she's done incredible things. Uh, handled COVID pandemic like a boss, handled the Christchurch massacre um, with the utmost empathy and love, hugging some of the family members uh, and and, um, family members of the victims, saying they are us, saying that, um, you know, immigrants chose New Zealand because of its compassion and because of its openness. 2018, banning single-use plastics throughout the country and also... Uh, saying that sanitary products would be free for all young girls in schools. Um, there's nothing she can't do. She's super Jacinda, and I want to know um, what will she do next. We got to bring it back up after the coup talk. So let's focus on someone who's lovely and wonderful and nothing but sunshine and rainbows for democracy, Jacinda Arden. And so I want to know, what is she going to do next? What's the second term going to be about? NATO, what have, any, any thoughts? Yeah, so uh, um, apparently, I saw this on, on, online, that in addition to all of her like groovy second term uh, policy proposals, um, she, after winning election, fucking DJed a party. So, <laughs> uh, so like, 
you know, the, the, like, what is Jacinda going to do next? She's going to bring back like, like 90s raves on the beach, you know, <laughs> where you like, you can't get there unless you like page a guy and then go to a payphone and give another guy a cigarette and then drive eight hours into the desert, you know, Dude, like I've all tried that to stuff. Do that. Yeah. Don't do that as a woman alone with your other friend. That's really scary. Yeah, I've abandoned. Yeah. It but anyway, it doesn't matter how many overalls and Doc Martens you have on. <laughs> yeah. Not safe. But yes, she'll make them safe. It'll be she'll like safe. she'll make raves safe again. God. <laughs> you know, what's so exciting. So the, the, the climate movement, I mean, in in both, you know, Polynesia, Micronesia, Melanesia mm-hmm. is so strong. Mm, and I, I've had the gift of getting to work with um, New Zealand climate activists, most of whom are Samoan. And they are so energized by this kind of series of social democratic electoral victories that they're pushing harder and harder, which is a great lesson for us to learn, which is like each time you win, make bigger demands. And that's completely their orientation. I'll also say that almost every leader that I've connected with, mostly indigenous leaders uh, from New Zealand, are also named Jacinta. Uh, spelled differently, spelled with a C, but there's three that I can think of. <laughs> so I'm not sure what the... I think Jacinda is like a new, like, uh, just like that's the term when something's so radical and badass. What? Like, Jacinda. Wow, that's Jacinda. <laughs> Yo, Jacinda, dude, Jacinda. Um, A lot of comments. I uh, love net zero carbon, probably. Um, Jacinda will be the next James Bond, says Todd Roy on, on YouTube. Um. I want to just say on the on the mandate thing. So she, the Labor Party has like forty eight percent of the vote, and they could easily form a government. Uh, I don't know how parliamentary systems work, but I think it's like Lincoln Logs. They like form a government and um, whatever. The point is, is she could easily form it's, one. It's like, it's like the Wonder Twins, where you just be like form of the government, and then you fist bump, and then you take the yeah, exactly, the and it happens. Yeah, yeah. But she she said something really key. She said, "Look." I, of course, I'm going to work with other parties. I want to build consensus, but we have a mandate. And just that phrasing when you win, it's like, I want the Democrats, if and when they win, to be able to say the same thing, man. Like, like, look, because what they do, we all know is like, well, I'm a president for everybody. Like, no, no, no. I will build consensus, but I've got a mandate. Like, there's a program mandate. There's a policy mandate. That's why I won. That's why I'm here. I'm not here to be tacked to the center. I'm not here to be tacked to the other side. What the fuck is that? Anyway, she's the best. I the, think the the uh, <laughs> you know that like the Democrats sort of fetishize compromise all the time, yes. and like they want compromise for the sake of compromise. And she, what what Jacinda's articulating is that compromise is a function of power. Mm-hmm. And that the you know if you don't have if you have enough power that you don't need to compromise then fucking don't compromise. Yeah. Write that down, yeah. kids. Write it down, yeah. and uh, I I think Jacinda will accept hundreds of thousands of American refugees and hug each and every one of us as we enter in through the border. Oh, wouldn't that be wonderful? I think she might invade America to uh, install a democracy. I, well, I do appreciate the the firewall that they've built of American oligarchs trying to build their little like climate apocalypse uh, underground bunkers there. In in where? There in 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 uh, New Zealand. There's all of these different. Uh, basically, there's there's this huge attempt at capital of basically buying all of this land. 
and um, like, trying to like find... people like Peter Thiel and stuff. Oh, right. Yeah, that it's it's. I mean, it's it, it's one of the most safe places on on planet Earth for at least the next thirty years of climate change. Right. And so, uh, because of that, there's that's their escape hatch plan, and they're like, uh, uh-uh, we don't. We're we're gonna stop. Put a stop to this. Boo! We're gonna fill that with bees, man. That's our beekeeping uh, future. That's where Joshua is going to build his new beekeeping area. Yeah. So fuck that. Um, Joshua Con Russell, thank you so much for being here. You guys follow him on social media. Follow uh, uh, Choose Democracy. Sign up for those trainings. I'm sure they're going to be good. We are in this together. Let's remember that. We will be behind the barricades. You, me, and AOC. Let's make it happen. Let's make it fucking happen. Uh, Joshua, any, any last plug? Uh, well, first, I just want to say I'm grateful to be on the show. You two are the funniest people I know, and uh, it's it's so fun to talk about this with you. And that um, ChooseDemocracy.org. Our trainings are are super evidence based, and you the the facilitators are veterans. From, for example, one of our lead trainers was one of the coordinators of Mississippi Freedom Summer in 1964, where they faced. Uh, clan violence, they face police violence. And so they're highly grounded in experience and in what to do in the potential scenarios that we're planning for. So please do plug in. Uh, There's a lot of options. We have a lot of power in the coming time. And so don't give it away. Amen. Thank you so much, Joshua. You take good care. Nato Green, what you got to plug, boy? Uh, You know, the usual. Uh, yeah, uh, follow me on, uh, on on the social medias, Nato Green on Twitter, Mr. Nato Green on Instagram, if you want to see mostly a bunch of, like, strike photos. Hell yeah. Um, Nato, thank you so much, and uh, we'll, we will have you back. We're going to be talking about this shit. This is, not, this is not ending. It's not ending. The nightmare will not end. Um, take good care, buddy. Love you. And love all of you out there. And just as a reminder, we have a tip jar. It's one is a cute little tip jar. It's very sparkly in your mind and fancy. And there's like stickers and stuff. And uh, it's TBR-Live at Venmo. TBR Live on Cash App. We're donating a portion to make sure we get that landslide to happen so we don't have to take the streets as much. Um, <laughs> and there isn't as much of a contested election We're donating a portion to Seed the Vote, doing all that awesome grassroots organizing. Make those calls, y'all. Send those postcards, but mostly make the calls. Do the text banking. Uh, Love y'all so much. We are voting. We're voting for the 11 million undocumented people who cannot vote. We're voting for the legacy of folks like John Lewis and the civil rights movement, fighting for the right of everyone to vote. And we're also voting because the other alternative is this. One thing with me, the nice part. I went through it. Now they say I'm immune. I can feel, I feel so powerful. I'll walk into that audience. I'll walk in there. I'll kiss everyone in that audience. I'll kiss the guys and the beautiful women and um, everybody. I'll just give you a big fat kiss. He almost said children. You know, he almost said children. And that would have been good. He thought about it. He wants to kiss children. He's the pedophile. All right, guys. Don't just bitch about it. Be about it. Bye.